Welcome. Church of the Advent is an Anglican congregation in Denver, Colorado, that seeks to share in the life of God by redefining and reorienting everything around the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope you are challenged, encouraged, and move closer toward the gospel by this week's message. Good morning. Um, for those I haven't met here, my name, again, it's Ryan Ramsey. My wife, KJ, and I are members here at Advent. You can find me today in the world of chaplaincy in healthcare, but prior to that, I was a pastor for many years. Um, I'm really glad to be with you this morning. Again, if you want to follow along in the text for the sermon today, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. So, many of you uh, know that my wife, KJ, uh, suffers from chronic illness. She has an autoimmune disease. Over the years, as her husband, I've had to repeatedly learn the difference between being helpful and being available emotionally. See, when she's sick, when she's in a flare-up, when she's in bed, my first instinct is almost always to serve her practically. You know, and it comes from a good place. So she needs me to pick up dinner on the way home, done. Run by the pharmacy to pick up some prescriptions while she's in bed, got it covered. You know, make sure the dogs are taken out, fed, make sure our apartment's clean, no problem. Um, as far as the practical tasks uh, are concerned, when KJ, my wife, is sick and, and in bed, uh, I always have that covered. But despite all the ways that I serve KJ, practically, she's had to remind me several times over the years that I actually passed over the one thing she needed the most. As grateful as she is for my service, what KJ actually desires the most is my presence. She desires my presence. Sometimes she just wants me to sit with her, you know? If her hands are swollen, she wants me to rub her hands. Um, just acknowledge how difficult it must be for her to be in so much pain, you know? Um, sometimes she just wants me to sit with her and remind her, I love you. And even though you are hurting this much right now, I'm still really glad to be with you. But why? why? Why is it so important for KJ to experience my presence and not just my service? Because when I'm present with her, she remembers her value and her dignity. She re she's reminded when I'm present with her that she's not alone in her suffering. Um, when I'm present with KJ, she experiences every time the love and security of our relationship despite the storms of sickness. That gentle reminder I've received from KJ several times over the more than a decade of our marriage, it's actually the same invitation Jesus offers to Martha 
in our text. See, my predicament and Martha's predicament is the same predicament we all face. It's, it's the predicament of distraction or preoccupation with doing, even, even doing that is good and important. Um, Jesus tenderly says to Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing, one thing is needed. If our, I want to say that if our preoccupation with doing distances us from our being or our ability to be with, over time, that kind of state of distraction can actually become less benign and can become more dangerous. We actually risk relating to God and others in ways that can bring harm um, rather than healing. The main idea I kind of want to explore and unpack from our gospel reading is this. It's, it's the idea that the gospel invites us to cherish the one needed thing, the one needed thing with Jesus, so that our service for Jesus and others is grounded by integrity. So as we explore that idea, um, we're going to take a look at two kind of contrasting impulses that we see from Martha and Mary in the, in the text. Uh, first, we will see how Martha's good gifts, her good gifts, actually lead her into a bad paradigm. And then second and lastly, we'll see that Mary's first impulse to Jesus actually reflects our foremost invitation in the gospel. So let's observe a few things first about Martha in the text. First thing I want to point out, rather obvious but important, is this. Martha actually displays her good gifts in the text, if you're looking there. She welcomes and she serves, right? She welcomes and she serves. See in verse 38, Martha's impetus is to welcome Jesus into her home, not to be overlooked. In verse 40, again, it says, Martha's distracted by her many tasks. So she has the honorable instinct to serve Jesus, right? We don't know the specific ways. You can kind of imagine it's reasonable to think Martha is preparing a meal, perhaps, for Jesus. Um, commentators note here that it's actually really important that before we jump to the concerns with Martha, that we acknowledge the goodness of her gifts, the goodness of Martha's gifts. Um, she welcomes Jesus in, and she serves Jesus. Not only does she display her gifts, but Jesus doesn't condemn her gifts. Jesus doesn't condemn her gifts. Um, in fact, we remember from last week this, with the sermon Lisa preached and the Good Samaritan story that we know Jesus cares deeply, in fact, about our service and our hospitality to our neighbor and to one another. So in this story, in this circumstance with Martha, Jesus has other concerns, right? <clears throat> and that brings us to my next observation about Martha. And this is where we begin to see some problems. 
Verse 40 again says, Martha is distracted. She's distracted. More than that, we see she's distracted by her service. It's her service that is the source of her distraction. Another way to say it, Martha is distracted from Jesus by ministry. She's distracted from Jesus by ministry. This is an important reminder, actually, for all of us, not just pastors, not just church staff. Um, See, the very gifts that we are given by God to serve the body of Christ and one another have the capacity to lead us away from Jesus himself. The same gifts that we employ to bless other people have the potential to malform our own hearts. And hence, Jesus' concern, I think, for Martha's heart in our text. As I mentioned in the beginning, today you can find me in the world of chaplaincy. Prior to that, I was a pastor for many years. And sadly, I have witnessed a lot of abuse in ministry settings. Um, My wife and I have lived it firsthand. And... Even today, years later, it feels like every week there's a new story or headline about some leader or ministry being exposed. If I were to kind of identify a common progression in so many of the stories of abuse, the progression would kind of be something like this. A leader's gifts bring some measure of external success, right? or thriving ministry. And then that success, turns out, becomes a distraction from Jesus himself. And then that state of distraction, preoccupation with doing, ends up sort of warping and malforming that, leader, that leader's heart, and it often brings all kinds of harm and heartache in the systems or the communities or the ministries they lead, right? So, before you feel like you might be off the hook, this actually is not a warning just for famous Christians. This is not just a warning for Christian leaders. It is a warning for all of us. Uh, author Pete Scazzaro, he, he puts it this way. He says, too many followers of Jesus are chronically overextended and doing more for Jesus than their inner life with him can sustain. I'll read that again. He says, too many followers of Jesus are chronically overextended and doing more for Jesus than their inner life with him can sustain. And this is Martha's dilemma. This is Martha's dilemma. We see her gifts, right? We see her distracted from Jesus by ministry, serving, And then lastly, in verse 40, we see that Martha's become resentful. She's become resentful. See, her performance, kind of merit-based way of relating, that paradigm, has actually hardened her. It's hardened her towards Mary, and it's actually hardened her towards Jesus, too. Do you see her protest when she says, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm the only one here serving? Look at Mary. Aren't you going to, like, make her get up and help? You can, you can, like, 
taste the bitterness, you know? So Martha's good gifts have actually led her into an unhealthy paradigm. Um, It's an unhealthy paradigm for faith, how we relate to God. It's also an unhealthy paradigm, potentially a toxic paradigm for how we relate to people. In other words, it's a toxic paradigm for relationships in general, right? So I'm a sucker for a good diagram or chart. So naturally, I made one. Um, If you don't mind bringing that up, thank you. Um, This was sort of my way of uh, unpacking and exploring and studying and wrestling with the themes of this passage. I sort of created two dichotomies, I think. If you want to look at um, the two dichotomies, the, the side over here would be uh, sort of the Mary paradigm, right? It's when we begin with being. And the side over here would be kind of the Martha paradigm. It's when, it's when doing overrides being. A um, couple things to notice. Uh, I would say this paradigm, Mary's paradigm, is really where, where we are absorbing and remembering and ingesting the gospel. Um, it is uh, sort of the oxygen for our faith, for our relationship with God, and for relationships in general. You know, This is where we, we experience God's attention and care toward us, his intimacy or our intimacy with the Father. Uh, it's where we remember our inherent dignity and worth. It's where we experience relational security and safety in, our, in union with Christ. And it's where we experience God's love and esteem toward us just for being. So this is sort of the oxygen, if you will, that we, that we have to breathe in to, to, to remember the gospel and to maintain our integrity, right? And then over here, this is sort of what happens when we slide into uh, preoccupation with, be, with doing, when doing overrides our being, when doing kind of holds us hostage and cuts us off from the gospel, from our identity. Um, it's where we experience things like this, any combination distraction, performance, anxiety. And what I mean there is not so much like clinical anxiety. I'm thinking more like the insecurity you feel if you don't know where you, if you measure up, if you don't know if you're doing enough. Am I doing enough? Am I good enough? You feel like you're always hustling to earn belonging or love. Um, Legalism, which is sort of related. Exhaustion, burnout. And then in the worst cases, exploitation and abuse. Um, If I were to kind of guess, probably 90% of the stories of abuse in ministry uh, fall into this category. In other words, something in the system, um, the way the system operates, the way the leader's operating, it's slid over into this area, this paradigm, in, in, in some combination of ways here. So you're seeing this play out. So um, I think this is a good way, sort of the Mary and Martha paradigms are a good way to sort of reflect on, on your own faith, on your own uh, ways of relating to God, sort of a good litmus and reminder for us personally and vertically with God. Uh, I think it's also a good paradigm for evaluating the health of systems, you know, systems meaning a family, a ministry, a community, a workplace, right? 
um, I find it really helpful to evaluate and think about the health of systems this way too. So <clears throat> we're going to get to Jesus' term, the better portion, towards the end. But thank you so much for showing that. Um, let's turn to Mary now, actually. Uh, what we're going to find in the text is that Mary's first impulse is our foremost invitation in the gospel. And that invitation is the invitation to receive the love of Christ as a free gift and to experience his fellowship, the fellowship of the triune God, simply for being and apart from our doing, right? In order to receive this gift, what does Mary do? She offers her attention. She offers Jesus her attention. In verse 39, it says, Mary had a sister named, I'm sorry, Martha had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. So there it is, attention. Attention. We're seeing now the dichotomies of this story in this passage, right? Attention and distraction. Presence, performance, being, and doing. Um, professor and commentator Elizabeth Johnson, she says it this way. She says, Mary sits at Jesus' feet, listening to his words. Rather than assuming the role expected of women in her culture, she takes her place at the feet of Jesus. She assumes the posture of a student, learning at the feet of a rabbi, a role traditionally reserved for men. Look again at what Mary models for us, perhaps like involuntarily. Uh, number one, she, she gets close, right? Her disposition is intimate. Number two, she sits, so she's unhurried. And then number three, she listens, she offers what clinicians or uh, counselors would call attunement. Intimate, unhurried attunement. See, children instinctively long for this, don't they? They know, like at a primitive level, that they are made for love, and love requires caring attention. And they know when they're not getting it. I can hear parents' voices right now, you know. Do you know how many times my kids ask for my attention? <clears throat> you get the point. This, this attuned presence, by the way, it's exactly what God is so eager to give to us. It's exactly what he's so eager to give to us. Um, do you think Jesus, in our story here, do you think that he's delighted with Mary primarily because he loves the opportunity for a good monologue? <laughs> no. No, he, he loves the opportunity for connection and relationship. And that's actually what he desires for Martha, too. I hope you can hear Jesus' compassion towards Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, 
you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. What I hear in Jesus' words there is, Martha, I don't need your performance. I don't need your performance. He says, Mary has made the right choice. Other translations say, Mary has chosen the better portion or the better part of the meal. I really like that. Here's how the African-American New Testament commentary explains it. It says, according to the narrative, the greatest act of hospitality a person can afford a disciple of Jesus, what Jesus calls the better part, is not the provision for physical sustenance, but the attention to the word of God or the word himself that the disciple conveys. I'm guessing many of us have heard a rather watered-down version of this story before. You know, something like, this story reminds us of the importance of having a quiet time. (laughs) You know? So don't forget to sit at Jesus' feet and read your Bibles every day. I think a lot of us have heard that version. Um, I hope we're seeing that it is much deeper than that. Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better part of the meal. See, Mary and Martha each display aspects of hospitality. So the meal includes both. But Martha is performing for Jesus. As though maybe if Jesus notices her sacrificial ministry, maybe he'll tell her, that she's worthy of his attention. Meanwhile, Mary chooses presence with Jesus. Intimate, unhurried attunement. As though she already knows her worth and welcome. Right? Again, here's commentator Elizabeth Johnson. She says, there is need of only one thing, attention to our guest. As it turns out, our guest is also our host with abundant gifts to give. So the gospel invites us to cherish the one needed thing, right? Attention and presence to Jesus so that our service is grounded by integrity. And I want to say too that I think the gospel, the more we internalize the gospel, the more that it teaches us that hospitality is not just something we do, it's something we become. It's not just something we do, it's something we become. Hospitality is not a ministry that we perform. It's a presence that we cultivate in connection to Jesus, right? As you know, the gospel story, in the end, the gospel story, it's a story of hospitality, It's a story of God's lavish welcome toward us through Christ. The gospel is, after all, not first an imperative. Go and do. Go and serve. Go and build. It's an invitation to come and be. Be healed. 
be forgiven, be held, be seen, be known, be cherished and esteemed apart from your doing. Amen. Thanks for listening. We encourage you to take a moment to reflect on what God might be saying to you through what you just heard. For questions, additional information, and resources, please visit adventdenver.com.